0: Until we found the body, I didn't expect to remember a thing about Poza Rica. Just another story, we'd thought. Waiting for the black gold rush was the provisional headline. A profile of Poza Rica, the crumbling oil city in Veracruz, eastern Mexico. A place caught, I'd written, as though in suspended animation, waiting for foreign investment to capitalise on the region's 15 billion barrels of oil and raise the city to its former height. Just four days' worth of interviews, we'd figured, and we'd be back home to file text and photos for the kind of dull, well-paid gig all freelancers dream of until they actually have to do one. Yeah, well, you know. After eight years of living in Mexico, I should have known there's no such thing as just another story. Call it Iguala or Enosa. Call it Manzanillo or a Patzangan. It's the same poor-town generica of pull-down shutters and bad-luck motor-shops, the same blue Alcoholics Anonymous triangles, the lurid blood cursive of gang tags. It's the same taxi rank shrines to St. Jude and the Virgin of Guadalupe, the same faded revolution murals, plaza, bandstand, the busts of the illustrious dead. It's the same missing posters on every lamppost and shopfront, the same blood and sulphur odour of wrecked drains. After we found the body, though, nothing would ever look the same again. Ten minutes into our drive home to Mexico City, the AM radio playing Bolero songs, we would stop now and again for photos of wellheads for the story. At the centre circle of a balding football field, in the yard of a pay-by-the-hour parking lot, at the bottom of an alley between the Best Western Hotel and the Banco Azteca, So there we were, coasting down the main boulevard, closing in on 5am, nobody heading out to work, nobody coming home from the late shift, the shadows under the big overpass holding only trash from the previous day's market, when we passed a small oil derrick swinging back and forth at the bottom of an alleyway, between a shuttered bar and a gleaming OXO convenience store. And Carlos said, Oh shit, stop the jeep, Bato. What? I'd said, Parking at the top of the alley, but Carlos was already legging it towards someone lying on the ground. For a second I wanted to tell him it was just a drunk, but then I got out of the Jeep and saw the guy. His limbs splayed at angles no drunk sleeper would ever choose, and I stood there winded at the top of the alley, my heartbeat shaking my throat, my knuckles white where I gripped the Jeep's doorframe as a light clammy rain petered down over me. Bodies I was okay around. They tell you the same amount of nothing, whether they sit calcified in a burnt-out car, lie hogtied and dumped on beaches, or rise greenish and soapy-looking from mass graves. But the poor guy lying by the oil derrick under the streetlight, he wasn't like anybody had ever seen before. His counterfeit Levi's and white briefs had been pulled down to show a nest of pubic hair around a bloody hole, his cock and balls peeled like grapes, left resting on his broken hands. His cheap pleather jacket was open over a polo shirt, whose red wasn't dye. A red whose sugary butcher's shop cloy drew the 7-Eleven coffee I'd been drinking into the jeep almost all the way back into my mouth. "'Don't get sick, Bato,' said Carlos, laughing when he heard me spit. "'You'll wreck my shot.' "'Yes, because it's just gorgeous right now,' I said." Lighting a cigarette to kill that dead kid's smell while the oil derrick just kept right on clanking. People who tell you death has a smell, they're wrong. It's got dozens, and I only know some. After the Acapulco jet ski drive-by me and Carlos had covered a couple of years before, you couldn't tell the blood smell from the bladder rack parching on the shore. After the big warehouse massacre we'd reported on in Tlatlaya in mid-2014, The main stink had come from the wheaten note of bullet-holed guts. At the mass graves uncovered in Taxco, the stench had been deep, fungal, butanoic, enough to put me off Rockford forever. Even from there I could see what they'd done to the kid. The blood on his shirt wasn't from a bullet wound. His neck was a collar of bruises where he'd had the life choked out of him, and there were no punctures in his chest or face. Matter of fact... He had no face. That's where all the blood had come from. His face had been taken, his eyes thumbed out, leaving a wet red mask specked with dust and grit. His teeth climbed black. A Stanley knife, I figured. Crisscrossed incisions edged the wound above his right jaw and from the ragged edge of skin under his left. I could tell they'd stopped cutting once they'd worked up enough of a loose end to tear the rest of his face off with their hands.